Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our episode for True Crime Tuesdays. So you guys will notice if you've listened to our other episodes that this series is now renamed True Crime Tuesday, so that if you like our true crime episodes, they're easy to find. And if you like our other episodes, they're also easy to find. And if you like both styles, well, then just keep listening that way. Excellent idea. Yes. And we also have a new introduction music for this series just to differentiate from our funny everyday episodes. So let's get into it. Today, Robin, we will be talking about the Entwistle murders. Okay. So I think as we progress, we've been talking about doing crimes that take place in New England because we are based in New England. And this is actually one that I had never heard about, so I'm very excited. And I do want to preface this by saying, Robin and I, as we do these cases, are not sharing any sort of information with each other about the cases. So any reactions that she has or that I have to each other's case is totally unscripted. It's the real deal. Because we don't know anything coming into it. Nothing. So let's get into this case. Okay. So Rachel Souza was an American studying abroad at the University of York in England when she met Neil Entwistle, a fellow student and a native of England. So she was an American. I believe she was from Massachusetts. And then they met there. He was studying computer sciences and business, and she was studying English to be a teacher. They fell in love, and got married in 2003, which is when I graduated high school. Okay. (laughs) And they remained in England, and in 2005, their daughter Lillian was born. Okay. So, Neil had a job working with computers and was doing very well for himself, and Rachel was working as a teacher. But towards the end of 2005, Rachel was missing her family, so the couple relocated back to the U.S. and moved in with her parents in Carver, Mass. Okay. Again, I'm going to interject and say, I could never move back in with my parents. Right. But good on you if you can. Yeah. So before finding and moving into their own beautiful house in Hopkinton, Mass. And I remember when I was talking to Robin about researching this case, I'm like, yeah, they live in this town in Mass and it sounds really familiar. Something happens there. And in doing more research, this is where the Boston Marathon starts. Is in Hopkinton. So it's just a small Massachusetts town outside of Boston. So the family moved into their new spacious and beautiful home in January 2006. So their daughter was, I think, nine months old at this time. The house was gorgeous and large. It was furnished very beautifully. They spared no expense. And they drove a BMW. So by all accounts, they were doing really well. So naturally, Rachel had invited her parents, Joseph and Priscilla, and her friend Joanna over to see the house 10 days later after they moved in. And when they came to see the house, no one was there. But they were invited over for like a housewarming situation. So worrying, they called the police. So on January 21st, a search of the house was conducted. The BMW SUV was gone. There was one light on in the master bedroom, but no one was anywhere in the house. Okay. So the bed in the master bedroom when the police went to check out the house was covered in blankets that were all messed up, but nobody was around. Really weird. So the cop just leaves. And the next day on January 22nd, her family filed a police report. So they went and did a more thorough search. And this time they noticed when they went into the bedroom that there was a horrible smell emanating from the bedroom. 
So he looked on the floor, noticed there was a watch on the floor, decided to lift the covers of the bed, and found not only Rachel's body, but also baby Lillian's body. So initially they thought, okay, maybe they died of carbon monoxide poisoning or something like that, because they just never came to the door, like they never woke up, whatever. Okay, well, when they got sent to the medical examiner, it was discovered that they had been shot and killed. So, Neil, however, was nowhere to be found. Question. Yes. Wasn't there blood all over the sheets? I would assume the there was. I, I think it, I think initially it was just that they thought like, oh, here are their bodies in these blankets and maybe they didn't look. And it had also been two days, so maybe yeah. it was like very dried and they were only looking like... Top okay. side, I don't know, but yeah. I know that they said that originally it was thought like, oh, maybe nothing like actually nefarious happened, but then it was like, no, they got shot and that's how they died. Do you think the cop that was there the day before still has his job? I would imagine because I think he was also the cop who came back the next day. He didn't smell anything the day before? I don't know because I would imagine it, it must have happened the day before. Okay. So I don't, I'm not a medical yeah. examiner. Yeah. So I mean, decomp times, it could be. Yeah. And I know there's been other cases where people who have done things like that have changed the temperature in the rooms to try to, like, fool examiners on, like, decomposition time or time of death. So that could have been something, too. But Mm -hmm. I didn't get too much into that because I didn't want this to be an hours-long episode. Right. But good questions. I had that same thought when I was researching this and saw that. So Neil, however, was nowhere to be found. The police, upon doing research, though, did find through bank records that he had taken out $800 of their account, and they found his BMW at Logan International Airport. Okay. So upon watching surveillance videos, they discovered that he had flown back to his parents' house in England. So that's kind of shady. Okay. Right? Okay. And this was my thought when I was first looking into this case and researching it, like, that doesn't seem normal. That doesn't seem like what you would do if this happened. Right. No, not at all. And if you didn't know this happened, you did not have a trip planned if you were having mm-hmm. a housewarming party. Sorry. Right. So, totally sketchy. So, the police actually called Neil in England to inform him of the death of his wife and child, and his reaction was not what you would think it would be. So I actually listened to some of this call today because there was a couple of different YouTube videos that had it. And then like just Googling around, they had it. And it was horrific to listen to. So the police officer calls. I wish we could hear it. I'm going to have to listen to it. And he was, you know, Boston accent, like, hello, is this Neil? And he's like, yeah. Well, I have some really bad news for you. Yeah. First of all, the police officer says, how are you doing? And he says, well, you know, like he was going to say more. And then every response he had was just, yeah, yeah, with no emotion. Just like if you were like, oh, Alex, did you like your salad for lunch today? Yeah, that kind of response. So it was very weird. So he called and then he basically informed informed him that his wife and child were deceased. And he just went, yeah. (gasps) So the police officer asked if this was information that he already knew. And again, he said, yeah. Oh. So Neil went on to say that he had found Rachel and Lillian dead and it was a murder-suicide. Basically that Rachel had murdered Lillian, the baby. Okay. And then herself. Okay. Again, 
He didn't dial 911. Okay. The and second we're gonna... <laughs> he came upon that. Correct. But then he put the blankets back over. Them. Correct. It's a whole thing. Okay. So we're going to get to that. Okay. So my next part is, did he call the police? Did he call her family? Did he do anything that a sane person would do? No. In fact, he claims that after finding their bodies, he thought that he should also try to commit suicide. Okay. To be with them. Okay. So, how would you do that? Probably get something from your house, right? Right. No. He says he drove to his father-in-law's house to get a gun from his father-in-law because he knew that he owned guns because they had gone shooting before. But he was unsuccessful because they weren't home. Okay. What? Were they not home because they were supposed to be at his house at the party? I don't know. Okay. So, naturally... His reaction was to fly back to England. Of course. Okay. Right away. Right. That would be, yep, okay. Cool. Run back to your mom and dad. He then goes on to tell the police officer that he hasn't even cried over their deaths yet. Okay. That's so cool. this is this is the scheme of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unemotionally. Oh, it was a murder-suicide. And I haven't even cried yet. Wow. What? I understand that people all grieve differently. Sure. But that seems like a crazy turn of events that that is your reaction. Never mind your wife, but to see a baby girl. Oh my gosh. Nine months old? You didn't even have any sort of life at nine months old. Like all your chances were robbed and stolen from you. So, so sad, especially being a mother. Yeah. Like I knew this would also get to you on that aspect. So. I wrote, this is a weird statement for me to hear, because if you were so distraught and upset that you were going to try to commit suicide, attempt suicide, and you haven't cried over their lives being lost at all, so why not call 911? Why not call her family to grieve together and at least let them know? Right. Right? Well, any person who didn't do it would have called 911 immediately, or they would have run outside screaming or... yeah. And been absolutely shattered to their core that not only was their wife gone, but now their child was also gone. At this point, he's looking at the prime suspect. But why? From the outside, they appeared to have the perfect life, right? Right. Well, Neil had been unemployed the whole time they were living in America. He was $30,000 in debt, and no one really knew what he did for a career. They all just figured, like, oh, he had a computer job in England, so he has a computer job here. Right. He did not. He was involved in many online scams. Oh, boy. So there was some website called, like, Millionaire Something UK, where people would sign up to become millionaires. But it looks like a total scam. And then he also had another scam where he would sell things on eBay and just never ship anything. Oh, boy. Because back in, like, the early 2000s, that was probably way easier to do than now. How did they buy the house, though? This big, giant house? Well, I'm assuming they had money from when he was working in England because they lived in, like, a loft apartment. So I'm sure they had saved money. Okay. Because she was working as a teacher. He had a successful job working for some contractor in England. Okay. So... They also found clippings for escorts, other sex workers, online dating, and swinging. He actually had an online dating profile that they found. So all of this evidence against him was just on his household computer as well. So he basically had a secret life that his whole family knew nothing about, including Rachel. 
And Neil had also been searching on his home computer prior to the murders, the best ways to kill and knife in neck days before the murders. So dumb. Right. Why are they so dumb? Oh, he's the biggest moron in the world. Rachel and Lillian were buried together, which is adorable and so sad. Yeah. Neil did not attend their memorial. He sent flowers from England. Wow. But later was extradited back to the U.S. to face trial. So his trial would happen in June 2008. And if you're keeping count, that's a full two years after the murders of his family. And this piece of crap, and I'm saying that because if you watch the video of him in the trial, he is laughing during the trial. He's trying to make it look like he's crying with his hands up on his face, but he is clearly laughing sitting next to his lawyer. And it's so disgusting. Oh, gosh. That's awful. I can't even imagine. So during the trial, they actually interview one of Neil's friends. And the person that they were interviewing basically stated that he told all of his friends and family in the UK that he had informed Rachel's parents of what had happened and given the police a statement before he came to England. But obviously, with the call from the police officers, he did none of that. Right. None of that. So during the trial, the prosecution presented that a notepad was also found in their house, I believe near the computer, that stated on one side how sad he was over the loss of his family, and on the other side, how he wanted to sell his story to the highest bidder. Oh, God. So it was like he was making a pros and cons list of, like, either murdering them or after it was done, like, oh, hey, these are, like, yes, I'm very sad they're gone, but I have this option now. How insane is this guy? Insane and just dumb. Did he leave also a note, dear cops, it wasn't me? Right. I mean, come on. Exactly. So, in another twist of stupidity, the murder weapon was, in fact, a gun from Rachel's father's house. That had Neil's DNA on it and Rachel's DNA on it. So, obviously, he used to go shooting with Rachel's dad. But his cover was, I was also going to commit suicide, so I drove back to the house. He later changed his story to, no, Rachel had actually committed suicide after she killed our daughter. I found the gun next to her body and to protect her legacy and memory, I was driving the gun back to her father's house. (laughs) Okay. Right. Okay. So again, the stupidest criminal in the world. Yeah, not that smart. So for me personally, this seems like a pretty open and shut case. He did not cover his tracks at all. He's a total moron. His computer search history, the notepad, plus his story about going to get the gun from his father-in-law all incriminate him, especially since one of the guns was the murder weapon. And he has specifically spoken about that two different times in two different scenarios. And he didn't call the police and he skipped town. Right. He flew back to England. I think because he thought like, well, if I'm back here, I can't be extradited because he's an English citizen, sure. I would assume that was his thought process, but he most certainly was immediately. Right. right. So this really reminded me, reading all of this, about the Watts case with Chris Watts and Shanann Watts in Colorado, where he killed his two daughters and his pregnant wife. And then he tried to say that his wife killed the kids, so he had to kill her. Oh, wow. 
What is with these men who kill their children and their wives, blaming their wives for killing them yeah, what is that when about? it is so clearly them? Yeah, that's crazy. At the end of the day, crazy. he said he was trying to protect her memory and legacy, but he's 1,000% only trying to protect his legacy and maintain his innocence when he is so clearly guilty. Has a girlfriend come forward or anything? Not that I found, no. But I think there was numerous right. affairs because he had an online dating profile and was soliciting escorts. So I'm sure there was just numerous like random things. In his grief and confusion, his natural reaction was to flee the country. <laughs> that literally makes no sense. No. In the trial, he was found guilty of the murder and was sentenced to two life sentences with no possibility of parole, which is wonderful Good. justice yes. for his wife and his little baby daughter. Yep. But probably in the saddest part of this case, Neil's parents continue to stand by him and to this day believe all evidence points to Rachel committing the murder and then completing suicide. Neil's mother even tried to say at a press conference after the trial that she knew for a fact that Rachel was depressed and that her son is the true victim for trying to protect his wife's legacy and memory. Okay, she probably had postpartum or something. Who knows? But that's that's not going to... And none no. of that lines up. No, it doesn't like, line up. If you are being tried for this murder... In 2008, from 2006, mm -hmm. there's enough forensic evidence that will prove, like, hey, she didn't shoot herself. Right. She didn't do any of this. So, yeah. just, this was just the craziest thing, and I had never heard of any of this. Yeah, was, that is crazy. And I was kind of shocked that I never heard of any of this. No, I have, I... I would have thought that that would be kind of big news. I mean, Massachusetts isn't that far from us, but I never right. heard of it. I mean, it might have been big news, but at that time I was not in Connecticut, so I don't know. But I was still in New England because yeah. I went to college in New England, and I feel like yeah, maybe it was talked about a lot. But I have not even heard of this on other true crime podcasts or many places, so this was kind of a new discovery. And yes. again, I want to clarify, we are not excited that anyone got murdered. No, no, no. I want Gosh. to share this story, and the reason that we share these stories are to bring light to the victims and their stories and screw the murderers because none of them are cool or awesome no. or anything. And no one is treating any killer, serial killer, murderer, or anything like they're like heroes no, or so cool. No glorifying. It's pretty much to just shame them into oblivion. <laughs> and that's why yeah. we're sharing these stories. 100%. Yeah. So that's our case for this week. Thank you so much for listening and join us in three Tuesdays for another True Crime Tuesday. Three Tuesdays. Yeah, we'll have to come up with a good one. I think we'll be able to find one. And it will be Robin presenting on our next okay. True Crime yes. Tuesday. Okay. I think I have one in mind. Okay. So stay tuned for that. And to wrap up our episode, you can email us at coworkerskillingtime at gmail. Com. You can find us on Instagram <laughs> at Coworkers Killing Time. And now you can find us on Facebook at our Facebook page, which is Coworkers Killing Time Podcast. So just search that on Facebook and you can actually listen to all the episodes through Facebook. Yes, please do. Bye, guys. Bye.